is the overcomer's battle plan. Everyone say the overcomer's battle plan. Five giants, five stones. 1 Samuel 17 and 46 at the top of your paper says, You come against me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Famous words of David. Let's welcome the Lord into our teaching tonight. Father, in the name of Jesus, we welcome your Holy Spirit to those listening by podcast, but especially to those in the room tonight. Speak to us, sir. I trust you. Speak to us. Let us lay aside all of our responsibilities today, the good, the bad, and let us embrace the word of God that has the power to change us. Speak to us in this room today. Speak to those listening and let us be changed by the power of God. In Christ's name, and everyone said, amen. So we open up tonight. I have six stones up here. Um, we're going through five different sections. You have a little bit more writing to do. And if you're listening to my podcast, I will post the worksheet for you as well. It opens up with David. Everyone say David. And the Bible actually says that David left his things with the keeper of supplies. He ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual. Someone say usual defiance. The enemy has a usual defiance against you, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw Goliath, they fled from him in fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this Goliath keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. That's where they missed it. He was really not defying Israel. He was defying God, but David caught on to that. And then it ends there and goes on with the story. So it opens up with David. Number one on your paper, Goliath means to be disgracefully stripped. Two words, disgracefully stripped. Goliath's name does not mean giant. It means to strip you, to strip you of that which you have. We know that Goliath was nine feet tall. His armor was 100 pounds. Just the tip of his spear was 15 pounds Twice a day for 40 days, he defied the living God. You can imagine the Israelites sitting, eating their Wheaties, trying to get built up every morning. You've ever been that before? You come to church on Sunday. You feel the power of God. You hear a song on the radio. Something just inspires you, and you feel so strong until you go out and see your giant. Can I get an amen? And that's what they felt. I'm sure at night they dreamed of conquering victory and powerful things. But when they got up and walked outside, they saw Goliath, and he was shouting defiance. They felt ashamed for 40 days, twice a day, as he defied them. I want to say to you this morning, right underneath tonight, right underneath number one, Goliath's power was not one of physical power, but rather of intimidation. That is your blank. Intimidation, if you would write that in the blank intimidation. We talked two weeks ago about intimidation, so I'm going to go on with this story so we can move. But here is the thing. Goliath said he was defying God. It's like in 1990, the country of Iran took some of our citizens into a hostage crisis. It went on for many, 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 many days. Uh, President Jimmy Carter was the president, but there was no negotiation. But what they did is they took something precious from us to try to get us to negotiate. 
But all of a sudden, the country elected President Ronald Reagan, and he got the um, hostage, people in hostage, released and brought back to America. Someone say, yes, yes. But what I love there is they were going after us. You see, Goliath was defying God, but he was going after those who are precious to God. When you face a battle, when you face a giant, you've got to remember that that giant, whatever it is of fear, and we're going to go on and say some of these things, is going after God by trying to hurt you. What David caught that they didn't catch was that Goliath was defying God, not Israel. He was defying God hour by hour. You know what? If somebody wants to beat me up after class, well, I'm going to ask a few friends to join me. But if they should, I look easy to take down. But if they want to go after God, can I get an amen? It's a whole other different situation. We've got to remember in our giants with our stone that God gives us, right underneath your next blank, to take down Goliath, to take down Goliath, and the shame he brings, we pick up the stone of our identity in Christ, right? the word identity. That's your first stone tonight. Your identity in Christ. We pick that up to take down Goliath. Romans 8 and 17 says that we are heirs of God, which means we inherit his power, but we are co-heirs. Say with me, co-heirs. Co-heirs with Christ Jesus. There was a movie many years ago. I didn't watch it, but I hated the title. It was called The Children of a Lesser God. And the enemies that you fight in your head, outside of you, in your heart, in your workplace, want you to believe that you are children of a lesser God. But what David knew, there is no lesser God when his name is Elohim. And what David said is, you know what? You come to me with sword and spear, but today it will not be sword or spear that takes you down. The battle is the Lord, and he will give you into my hands. Someone give God a hand clap of praise for that. A familiar story, but here's where the rubber meets the road, right out of the gate tonight. And that is David knew you are defying God. When something comes against you as a child of God, you have to know in your heart this is really coming against God. They are trying to defy God. We find our identity in Christ. And the very cool thing before we move to the next section is in Psalms 40, one of my favorite Psalms in the Bible. David said, I love the Lord because I cried unto him. He heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the pit. He put my feet on a strong and hard and rock place. And many will see. Someone say many will see. And shall fear the name of the Lord and will put their trust in the Lord. What that was symbolizing is the victory David was saying that God has given me. People will see it and they will trust the Lord and he will put a new song in my mouth. This is what I propose to you tonight. David gathered five stones. We've got four more, actually five, but the last goes very quickly. He collected five. Theologians have argued through the ages, why five? Many believe it's because he knew Goliath had four other brothers. But I propose to you tonight, and he did have some brothers, that that was David saying to those coming behind me. You know what? When I take down Goliath with this stone, I'm encouraging and giving you courage to gather courage to kill your Goliath. I want to say to you tonight, when you come against the giants in your land and by the power of God and all the other ways that God helps us, you bring down a giant. Other people gather courage 
to pick up a stone, which is the power of God, and say, you know what, giant, you come against me, depression, you come against me, addiction, you come against me, fear, but I'm coming in the name of the Lord. I saw the person in front of me lift up a stone and throw it as a giant, and I will be victorious too. Someone give God a hand clap of praise. Let's move on to our second section. In 2 Samuel 21, I'm going to read these. I printed them off to save us time tonight. It says, once again, someone say once again. My sweet, almost 90-year-old father, as I sat with him last night, he just, the Lord just speaks to him, and I didn't even tell him what I was doing. He said, you know, Rhonda, there's always going to be challenges. And I said, yes, sir, yes, sir. Rhonda, there's always going to be challenges. In my life at 89 years old, I'd get this challenge worked out and then another one. Maybe a challenge would be with a friend or a challenge someone was going through. But there's always challenges. And I love that the word of the Lord in 2 Samuel says once again, say it again. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm never going to be surprised by once again. Because it happens. There was a battle between the Philistines and Israel. And David, King David, went with his men to fight against the Philistine and became exhausted. Everyone say exhausted. Look at your neighbor or say to yourself, it's okay to admit you're exhausted. And he became vulnerable, It is one of the translations. He's exhausted and he's tired. Beware when you're exhausted and tired. Beware. Beware when you're exhausted and tired and little things start to point out to you. I don't know if you're me. I was sharing with one of our pastors here that sometimes when just one thing here, you know, or there irritates me, I realize I'm tired and I'm exhausted and I need to be restored. That doesn't always mean a five-day getaway. I'm not going to get into that because I've known people to go away on vacation and come back meaner than a junkyard dog. Can I get an amen? But I've also known people just to steal away with the Lord and be restored. Someone say restored. So he's exhausted. Let's continue. Follow me if you will, please. And Ishbi Banab say, I'll never forget. Ishbi Banab, he was one of the descendants of Rapha, another giant, whose bronze spearhead weighed 300 shekels and who was armed with a new sword. Someone say a new sword. I mean, you think, you know what? Uh, no weapon in the past has ever been formed against me. But I feel like there's a new weapon formed against me. The Bible says no weapon formed will prosper, which means will have its full intent. It doesn't mean it won't be formed. But it means it won't have its full intent is what the scripture is saying. Well, here comes this Ishbi Banab with a new sword and he's trying to kill David. He's hacking through all the arm, all the uh, soldiers and he's going right after King David because he thinks if he can take him down, he can take them all down. And he's coming through, hacking through and doing that. But Abishai, everyone say Abishai, son of Zariah, came to David's rescue. It's like Abishai saw this and he struck the Philistine down and killed him. We'll come back. This is many years after the Goliath. Hang with me. King David had raised a family. He was in battle with the Philistines. Number two on your paper in that second section, Ishbi Banab comes from a root word which means to retreat. To retreat. Now, first of all, when you say that word retreat, you think, well, I was invited to a retreat one time. It was in the mountains. We were going to have fried chicken and, and popcorn. Listen, I've preached a lot of retreats. But the meaning, someone say meaning. 
The meaning of retreat is not that. I don't know if you know that. That's why a lot of churches years ago started calling them advances, but then people were all freaked out and didn't understand what they were doing. Um, and so they had to stop. But retreat means to withdraw from the enemy. Say with me, withdraw from the enemy. You see, Ishbi Benob sees King David, and he's hacking through all the soldiers to try to take him out. He sees that he's tired. It says that when the enemy came to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, that the word of the Lord says, but he withdrew to a more opportune time, meaning he left Jesus, seeing it didn't work, but was coming back. And sometimes we've got to remember that the enemy will come at times like that at an opportune time. There will always, say there will always, be challenges. But the giant does not determine our destiny. This Ishbi Benab with his new weapon looking so threatening. Boy, I would have gotten a lot of great pictures of giants. But tonight I want to paint the picture with my words. He saw that King David was weary. He saw, but what Abishai saw was this discouragement. What stone will we use to slay the giant of trying to get us to retreat? What stone? We, you and I, need to be Abishai's. We need to be those that see others that are discouraged. We don't need to be those that agree with the discouragement. To defeat Ishbi Banab, underneath number two, we pick up the stone of divine perspective. Divine perspective. I tell you, perspective means so much. The people that I help with, most not at this church, but some, and other places, if they call me with a situation, they always know where it's going. I say, let me give you some perspective on this. I'm 60. I'm not the sharpest knife in the door, but I'm not the dullest. And I've got the Holy Spirit. So let me give you perspective on your situation. You see, this is the problem with our perspective. Perspective is the way you view things. If we feel hopeless or despair, we view everything we're dealing with through that filter. We can't see everything. God's truth is always greater than the enemy's lies, but we can't get to look at our situation. Um, when you're up in a plane, small, not one of the big jets where you're way, way, way up and all you can see is the clouds. That's pretty cool. But when you're in a small plane or when you're starting to land and they start to um, bring down their elevation or come down lower, so to speak, you look down and you can look down upon, I've seen Los Angeles, I've seen Sydney, I've seen um, Galway, Ireland, I've seen all kinds of states. This is not my traveling because I've traveled my whole life. But here's the deal. Everything looks so neat and in order. Even Atlanta in its craziness. Love Atlanta. But it looks so in order because I'm looking from somewhere high up. You're looking in the midst of a situation, but God is saying divine perspective is that I'm seeing everything the way I'm going to deal with it. Can I get an amen? I can see this in a way you can't see it. That's why I want you to have my perspective. That next line there, since his name is the great I am, my name is I am not. Come on, somebody. Good evening, I am not. Welcome to the club. I tell myself often, I am not God. It's a good thing. Tell yourself that too. I can't flip the world on a dime. With my gifts and my compassion, it can sometimes be almost the end of me. And I remind myself, you are not God. You are not God. You can only do as much as you can do and leave the rest to God. You see, my point of view and your point of view of situations in your life right now will be distorted. 
they'll be askew is what my grandmother used to say. You can't really see. It'd be like the filter those girls are using on social media. Can I get an amen? That's when perspective is not true. Just meet one of those people, and you're like, wow, is that you? You know, whoa, I've had it to happen. But anyway, our perception gets distorted. If God is who he says he is, then he has all knowledge and all power and does not miss a thing. If we step outside of our circumstance and try to see it from God's vantage point, how does God see this situation? Oh, I'm going to tell you, my friends, this is a sermon I preached myself even today, this point right here, and many, many times in my life. How does God see this? How does God view this? The possibilities are made unbelievable when we see it through God's perspective. Whatever the trial, whatever the predicament, one of the greatest weapons is the ability to see circumstances from His perspective. Someone say God's perspective. He is God, I am not. That truth brings the level of peace and rest we never thought possible when we see, seem like or it seems like or we feel like everything is falling around us, we must say he is God. Give him a hand clap of praise for that tonight. Amen. In 1940, Myra Wattenberger was down on her luck. Her husband divorced her. He had a lot of money, but he gave her nothing. She was broke like a good old country song down on her luck in Texas in 1940. The only job she could get was helping an elderly man, and she, she got room and board, but the pay was so little. She thought she had sunk as low as she could go, until one of his sons raped her, forced her in a corner and raped her. She thought that was the end of the world, and she said, how God must hate me. See how her distorted perception. Why did God let this happen? It's something any of us would have asked. All of us would have asked that without question. Why, God? Why? But if that wasn't bad enough, then she then found out she was pregnant. Forcible rape, uh, pregnancy is a very low odd in that, but she was one of those her body defied the odd and she got pregnant and there was her torment. She was not going to give her rapist the pride or the whatever of the humiliation of her pregnancy. So she decided to kill the baby through abortion. But in South Texas in the 1940s, it wasn't so easy. She couldn't find one that would help her. And then she, the thoughts were battling for control in Myra Wattenberg's mind. In 1943, she trudged back from the physician's office who refused her. Sitting in the back porch of her house, she'd been raped. A new option came to her mind. Take your life. Kill yourself. One way or the other, we've all been there. Maybe we've never thought specifically suicide, or maybe, we have, or maybe just said, I don't want to live anymore. And for believers sometimes, a lot of believers have said to me, I just want to go home, Pastor. I just want to go home. And I understand that when things are so intense. As she was sitting there deciding how she would kill herself, she finally had an urge within herself to pray. And she said to God, Lord, I'm carrying this child. I don't know what to do. She said a clear voice that she'd ever heard in her life said back to her, have this baby. It will bring joy to the world. Those two sentences from God, his divine perspective, turned her life around. And with a power that no voice from hell could match, Myra heard those words. And she was convinced God would give her a baby girl because God said this baby would bring joy. On October 9th, 1943, Myra Wattenberger brought her baby into the world in St. Joseph Hospital in Houston, Texas. Things began to go wrong immediately. The little boy had to be fostered by a pastor. 
But that little boy today is a name that most of you have heard. It's Reverend James Robinson, the great evangelist who's on TV every day, who has such a powerful testimony, but ministers to people with compassion like I've never seen. That's when God gives somebody heavenly perspective. Can you give God a hand clap of praise? Always get God's perspective. In your darkest moment, ask him, how do you see me? What do you see? Number three, let's move on. In the course of time, there was another battle. Someone say another battle. With the Philistines at Gob. At that time, Sabiah the Hushethite killed Saph, one of the descendants of Rapha, in another battle. And at 2 Samuel 21, 18. Saph means, here's your blank, snatch away. If you'd write those words in there, snatch away. Saph was a giant of fear. Have you ever gone to a movie? And I know you have. Have you ever watched a movie and you didn't see that coming? The music should have told you and all of a sudden something jumps out. And you could have gotten the gold medal for sitting high jump. Anybody with me? I was at Jurassic Park with Chris Vernon, the first one years ago. He'd already seen it. And the whole praise and worship team in Dallas. And I think I beat, I was between he and I think Kelly Goins. And I think I beat Chris Vernon's leg every time the velociraptor went, <coughs> you know. You just get a you're sitting high jump award. But fear can do that to you. But fear is not as fun as that can be when it's just hang out. Follow me. This is interesting. It says that saf means to snatch away or to wait. Everyone say wait at the threshold. This is so curious to me. What is a threshold? It's an entrance to another place. Often the enemy or a giant will come at the time it perceives you're going to a new place. It perceives you're going to a new level. It perceives something good is going on in your life. People have often asked Pastor and I through the years, I was okay when I was drugging and hanging out with those that do. It was okay when I was sleeping around with everybody, but the minute I come in here and try to come to church, it's like bam, 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 can I get a witness? And it continues no matter who you are. This giant, Saph, was waiting at the threshold, an entrance to another place. He was lurking to find the hangouts of the enemy. Listen, we all have fears here tonight. Maybe, um, and you know, often we will say, oh, you shouldn't be afraid of that. Has anyone ever said that to you? Calm your mind or, um, you know, what's that other thing in, in the history of calm down? No one has ever calmed down by being told to calm down. Can I get an amen? You're just afraid. Everyone say fear. Fear of the dark, fear of the future. Here's some other fears. Fear of not being useful. Fear of the best is behind you. Fear of not being productive. Fear of being alone. I hear that from so many people I help. I'm just so afraid I'm going to be alone. Fear of a useful life. Fear that I'm going to be in active addiction till I die. Fear. Fear I'm not going to be a good mother or a good mother. Fear about my children. Any giant brings fear. But who defeated Saf? It was Sebekai. Your next statement. To defeat Saf, we pick up the stone of intimacy with God. Intimacy with with God. Someone say to come close. Someone say to come close. Someone say to come close to God. There you go. <laughs> so what's so cool? Sabakuk means to surround. That's your next blank. Did I already give that to you? Sabakuk means to surround. Surround. S-U-R-R-O-U-N-D. Around as trees surround and enclose a protective pasture. Don't turn your page yet. Hang with me for a moment. 
everyone should look up. If you ever visit like in Oklahoma, where they have a lot of bad weather, Tornado Alley, Kansas, you'll see a lot of times trees that are planted around livestock. Those trees were planted like a hundred years ago to surround the livestock to shield them from harsh winter winds and other things to surround. In Psalms 125 and 2, it says the Lord, someone say the Lord, surrounds his people. As the mountains surround, when you go to Jerusalem and you come, I always enter to Jerusalem from the Galilee, that's the tours I've been on with Brother Perry Stone. And when you come in there and you arrive into Jerusalem, you start seeing the mountains. You see the shadow of the valley of death that David saw. You see all these mountains, they're all around him. You see, God is so good at painting a picture for you and I that says this, as these mountains surround this city, so do I, the Lord, surround you. How much is God like Sabakak? He always is surrounding us with his presence. Zechariah 2 and 5, not on your paper. God says, I will be a wall of fire around you. Everyone say a circle to protect us from invading agents. You know, a good parent, have you ever had the electricity to go off and your child is yelling, you know, whether they're young or a teenager, and you're saying, come to my voice. I've done this with pastor. We've been somewhere, and it's, I mean, it's gone, it's gone really, really, electricity's gone out, and it's so dark you can't even see your hand. Come to me, baby. Come toward my voice. Come on, I'm over here, baby. Come to my voice. And I'm like, I can't see you. He goes, come on, follow my voice. In fear, that's the way the Lord is. I'm so afraid of this. The Lord says, follow my voice. Follow my voice. You can't see me, but follow my voice in the word of God. Follow what others have told you about me. In the dark, hear my voice. Like a child crying out in the middle of the night. He is our Abba. He is our Papa. He loves nothing better than to come closer. We learned in the book of Peter, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. You know, magnets are awesome. Someone say magnets are awesome until they're not. I have a bracelet and a necklace that's made out of a magnet. I have hooked up with one blow, 30 paper clips, and walked around the room with them. I, I've had my bracelet and picked up nails. I mean, everywhere I went, it, it just it kept going until the magnet stops working. Here's the deal. The enemy wants to be the magnet that draws you to him in time of trouble. He wants to be that magnet that when you're seeing this giant of fear, that you would come close and be like a magnet to him where God is saying, come on now, I am the magnet. When you get in the moment of fear, come close to me. It says on your paper before we move on, God is always surrounding us with his presence. The fact that we do not always rely upon that presence, but rather run from it is to embrace the very enemies we need to run from. But it is not God's fault. Someone say, it is not God's fault. Now turn your paper, if you will, to the second page, and we'll keep going. So here I'm going to read to you from 1 Chronicles 20 and 5. It says, in another battle, someone say in another battle, with the Philistines. Come on, Philistines, back it up. Anybody want to say that? I mean, today I was like, I'm going to go back and retrace. I know that history, but here they are again. Sometimes the hardest thing is to see something again that you thought you put underneath your foot. And you're battling it again. But it happens. In another battle with the Philistines, Elahani, son of Jair, killed Lami, the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, who had a spear with a shaft like a weaver's rod. 
Hey, friends, do you notice every one of these have a weapon that incite fear just from seeing them? Isn't that like your enemy? But what I like about this, la me is pronounced, everyone say la me. What's the second word? Me. Me. La me, number four, means evil desires. His name also means foodful, which means that you're just full of yourself. It speaks of our ungodly cravings, not just for food, but also for selfish power, excessive wealth, or sinful indulgent, indulgence. La me. Willie Nelson had a very popular song that I would like to change the words to to any of my 70s friends that grew up with his music, or the 80s, that's actually. I was always on my mind. Can I get a witness? Not you were, I, I remember hearing that song so much. You were always on my mind um, when I was in college. But what Lamy represents is I, me, myself, and I. What do I need? What do I want? What do I need to come to me? We tend to focus intensely upon ourselves, and that becomes a child. That becomes a really bad giant. La me. Everyone say la me. You see, it says in the word of God in 1 John 2 and 16, everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes and the boasting. Okay, sinful man, the lust of the eyes and the boasting of what he does. Comes not from my father, says Jesus, but it comes from the world. It comes from the enemy. It's all about me attitude. Hang with me. We're focused on ourself. We're self-centered. We're prideful. Our desires take over. And listen, when they do, the battle for our souls become easy prey to the enemy. Human-centered thinking is never from God. We place ourselves on our own throne. We study this a lot in the book of Daniel in January of this year. Hard to believe it was back in January. Babylon was all about me, me. And the kingdom of Christ is opposite. We humble ourselves. The prerequisite for being lifted up with Christ is kneeling down and humbling ourselves. But when we're obsessed like Lamy, no one understands me and my problems. None of you people do. None of you have ever been where I've been. You might be surprised. Everyone is against me. I asked God to heal me or fix this, and He didn't. Everything is my feelings. I, la me, needs immediate gratification. I've got to eat everything I can. I've got to get everything I can. I've got to do everything I can. It's all about me. I believe in self-care, but I fear that this modern world has made an idol out of self-care and an altar. It's all about me. Well, I just need to self-care. I'm sorry I can't be a part of a church. I need to self-care. I know some people like that, and it's heartbreaking. The thing is, we, La Me keeps looking for immediate gratification. But how does a toddler ever learn to walk if someone is carrying the toddler all the time? You ever seen that? Little Christine, my daughter, our youngest daughter, she scooted. She never crawled. And some people said she's not going to walk. And also, she was like planted right here. People said, she's like joined at your hip. I led worship. She was joined at my hip. I preached. She was joined at my hip almost. She was close. But here's the deal. I knew when the time came for her to walk, she would walk. And she did. Give her a hand here tonight. So wonderful. <laughs> but
But we can't defeat the giant of Lame when all we're thinking is, I need it and I need it now. I'm going to tell you a little secret of something I've been quoting over myself. If I can, I'm not going to give you why I've been quoting it. That's between me and the Lord and my elders, my husband. But I've been quoting over myself when I found that I was a little overwhelmed in some situations where I felt like I was, you ever carried the lion's share of a situation? Meaning you carried the bulk of it. A few other people did things, but you carried the bulk. It has nothing to do with the church. And it, it got me kind of funky. Anybody been there? It got me kind of irritable. It got me to like, hmm, Jamaica, Bahamas, you know, anywhere. Yeah, there you go. There you go. There you go. They're singing for those that are listening. But one day as I was driving, the Spirit of the Lord, who is a gracious teacher, I love him dearly. Him, her, whatever you want to call it, it's the Spirit of God, so it doesn't have a pronoun. Said, why don't you start quoting this over yourself? I thought, oh. For this reason, the Son of Man came, meaning Jesus, everyone say Jesus, not to be served but to serve. For this reason he came. And every day I've been quoting, a funny little side note is, like all of you, I'm human and some days I quote it wrong. For this reason I came, you know, to be served. You know. Okay, wrong, 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 wrong. I don't want to quote that. But here's the deal. That what's in it for me has to die. And I have found a new step, a new pep, and a new joy in this area that I'm serving because even coming here today, receiving so many texts from people who couldn't come, I said, you know what? I'm going to serve. My Jesus came to serve, not to be served. You know, sometimes in ministry, and I'm saying this to you leaders, and we get to the stone we have and move on. Sometimes it doesn't look like what we thought it would look like. Sometimes, it's one of my dad's care workers, wow. Sometimes it doesn't look like what we think it's going to look like. And that's because we've put what ministry are just helping God or serving. You know, I never intended that people would run, would, would wave parades and banners. I'm sure you didn't either. But sometimes we know what we thought it would be when the opposite happens. Can I get an amen? And um, so quoting that has helped me to know that when things don't look like what you thought they would look like, when you're pulled on to do things, you thought, wow, wow, wow. The Lord says, remember this, Jesus Christ came to serve and not to be served. The Son of God himself. To defeat Lamy, we pick up the stone of worship. The stone of worship. And worship, when we, on, on your paper it says, when we worship, God is put in his proper place and we are put in ours. Our selfish sin has to die. And this is the question to you and I tonight from this teaching are you willing to humble yourself and step down from the throne of your life and allow Christ to be king of your heart and life? Meaning, can you let him determine what happens? Can you let him determine what goes on in your life? Can you let his will be done, his kingdom come, not yours? Can you let that happen where he chooses to use us and how? These are constant conversations I have with the Lord. I know things change and Lord, however I can serve you today, I want to embrace that and do that. Moving on, the next one, 2 Samuel 21. And still another battle. Someone say, and still another battle, which took place at Gath. There was a huge man. Okay, if it hadn't got bad enough, here we go. He's got six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. 
I'm hearing like James Bond, gold finger. Anyway, um, if you never watch James Bond, it's not going to mean anything to you. 24, someone say 24. In all, he was descended from Rapha, but when he taunted, everyone say taunted, Israel, Jonathan, son of Shamia, David's brother, so it was David's nephew, killed him. Number five, there was a giant who was only mentioned by his physical attributes, which was six fingers, which is translated the giant who seeks to grab hold of you. I think God did not give him a name, so we focus on his attributes. There's no reason why we don't have his name. It's not like somebody, I don't remember his name. Of course, it might have been all that stood out to me was the six fingers and the six, you know, toes. But anyway, all, all in all. But maybe God doesn't give his name, so we'll focus on his attributes. Watch this. The advantage was anything he wanted to grasp, he could. He was an advantage. Six, 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 six. It wasn't a disadvantage. It was an advantage. Nothing seemed out of his reach. Sometimes there's a giant in your life you feel like that nothing's out of that reach. Imagine the Israelite soldiers um, unlucky enough to fall into the clutches of old six fingers <laughs> closing around uh, their neck. I just strangled myself if you weren't watching. Um, <laughs> being lifted up, up, up. Someone say up, up, up. I mean, can you imagine? You can't wiggle free. It calls you again. You can't get out of this. And sometimes those six-fingered giants, speaking metaphorically, it may be addiction, it may be fear, it may be depression, say, I got gotcha. you, I got gotcha. you. You are never getting out of my grasp. You know, maybe someone you love, something has such a grip on them, you think they'll never get out of this. They are forever trapped and suffocated and enslaved. But it was David's nephew, Jonathan, who rescued David and the rest of the Israelite forces from old six fingers. It was up to the, he was up to the task of silence this crazy giant. Jonathan proved that he was up to the task and silenced him. But our Jonathan is Jesus Christ. The next blame, the only stone that will break the grip of sin and accomplish the heroic task of emancipating us is Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. See, here's the deal. Emancipation Proclamation was sent from Abraham Lincoln to our brothers and sisters of the African-American descent that they were free. The sad thing about history, you see the Smithsonian and read in other ways, is there were so many of them that could not believe it. And they continued to be slaves. And, and I understand, I have been there and so have you. When Jesus says, I have freed you. But it doesn't get into your mind and it doesn't get into your heart and it doesn't impact you. If you will, we're going to um, bring on a, some music here. And we'll finish the rest of this. We still have a little bit of way to go. Are you enjoying it so far? Praise the Lord. It says in the book of Zechariah, one of my favorite illustrations, but to me it's so symbolically, I've got a lot of illustrations, but this one just nails it. It says in the book of Zechariah that it says, Then he showed me Joshua. This is uh, Zechariah writing the book of Zechariah. Joshua the high priest was standing before the angel of the Lord. Wow, that sounds good. That sounds good. Standing before the angel of the Lord. And, someone say and. Satan was standing at his right side to accuse him. So Joshua was standing before the angel of the Lord, but Satan was standing on Joshua's right side, the high priest, to accuse him. Then it says, the Lord said, everyone say, the Lord said. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. 
what he was saying is, how dare you stand here? We know in Revelation, we have an accuser of the brethren who goes before God and accuses us. But he doesn't just do that. He accuses you to you. He wants to point out things, condemn you, make you feel of shame like a Goliath did, and strip you of your dignity. But he says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. And then I love it right here. He doesn't say, the Lord rebuke you, Satan, because, man, he's so cool. Joshua's so awesome. Did you see him in church Sunday? He was like, whoa, 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 won't he do it? Won't he do it? You know, then he was running around, and then he was serving cleaning up tables. I saw him out there plunging the commode for the glory of the Lord. Picking up things off the floor. He's so awesome. I saw him pray this morning. Did you see that? I saw him riding down the road on his camel saying, the Lord is building Jerusalem. It's an old song none of you know, but Chris and a few others. But at any rate, he didn't say that. Someone say he did it. Someone say he did it. He didn't say that. And this is where you and I have to get the key. He didn't say that, but what he said was, he kind of agreed with the enemy. The Lord rebuke you, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem and Joshua, rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Follow me real quickly. I love this because what he's saying is, you think you're going to tell me something I don't know about Joshua? You are so behind the time. I don't even know what to tell you. I know who Joshua is. I know he's merely a stick snatched from the fire, which is every one of us, meaning without Jesus Christ, we are condemned. He said, I know everything about this man, Joshua. He's merely a stick. But I'm going to tell you something. This is when it gets really cool. Uh, someone say, now Joshua... Now, Joshua's dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel, meaning his rags were dirty. His righteousness didn't count up. That's why the angel didn't say, I saw him praising, I saw him worshiping. He was being a servant. You know, I saw all this going on. No, he knows that because he knows by himself, Joshua is a target for the enemy's accusations. And so are you and so am I. That's when condemnation like a strangling giant cuts us off. But he says this, the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. And they took off the filthy garments, which was symbolic of you and I trying to get in good with God by the things we do. The things we do that are right, we do because we are loved, not to be loved. The things that we do, we do out of grace, not out of law. The things we do because we're so loved by him. He said, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put new. Someone say new and fine garments on you. Then he said, put a clean turban on his head. And they did. They changed his clothes and they put a turban. You go, well, that's cool. Not sure I'm up for the turban. And I get it. I get it. But here's the deal. The turban represented on the, on the top of the turban, which the high priest wore. It said, holiness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Unto the Lord. Meaning, you're trying to accuse Joshua, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm riding on his head, holiness unto the Lord, meaning salvation shall only be found through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. You can hurl your accusations at me all you want. You can take the stone and 
and throw your stones, but God is going to come back and say, the Lord rebuke you for accusing this one. The Lord rebuke you for accusing this one. I'm going to ride holiness unto the Lord because there's only one who makes holy. There's only one who makes right, and it is the Son of the living God. His name is Yeshua HaMashiach in Hebrew. In English, it's Jesus Christ, our Savior. Someone give Jesus a praise. Come on. So powerful. We're almost done. Hang with me. And I love the end of that verse I found in my study today. And it said, in the day to come, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit under your fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. What in the world does that mean? The threshold. They were on the threshold of owning their own land. They were on the threshold of things getting better. And the enemy kept coming in. But God did it. Number six, the stone of dreams for the future is imperative in your life. You've got to pick up the stone of dreams for your future. Believe you can do far more than survive, it says on your paper. You can thrive. You can accomplish great things for God in the years remaining to you on the earth. Everyone say years remaining. Striving for those objectives is part of successfully defeating giants. Look up if you can, unless you're taking notes. And listen to me. John 10, 10 says, I've come that you have life and more abundantly. Listen, tonight, what's coming against your stone of dreams for your future? Is it the expectation of others? Is it the opinions? Do what is at hand. No matter what anyone thinks about what you're doing, do what is before you. We limit ourselves by not dreaming and understanding that as God does about us. We must learn to see obstacles to our dreams and visions the only way God views them. He views them one more bump along the road that gives us the opportunity to tap into the creativity of God. When we hit obstacles, God just says, that's just one more bump. Maybe feel like the mother of all speed bumps we talked about a few weeks ago, but you're going to get past it. Lack of money, God says, I am your provider. Lack of time, God says, I'll help you to reprioritize your list. You're too young, God says, no, you're never too young. You're too old, God said, you're never too old to serve or to do things. In fact, I think the older you get, the better you get at it. Lack of abilities. You know all the people from Colonel Sanders to Dennis Jernigan, one of the greatest psalm writers in the world who has amazing testimony, taught himself how to play the guitar at 40 years old. What we think we saw, where we thought we would be, they're just obstacles. When you and I stand, follow me, before the Heavenly Father, will we rejoice that we stepped out in faith or will we stand in shame that we didn't even try one thing? We just let the obstacles stand in our way. We didn't pick up the stone of God has a hope and a future for me. God honors those who are building, are boldly seeking to fulfill the will of God. Focus limit, on limitations. Yeah, you can do that. Or we can focus on God and let Him be the determining factor. Above all, we see Christ as the ultimate goal tonight. God is a big God, so dream big. I want you to say it again as simple as it sounds. God is a big God, so I will dream big. So we wonder, this stone represents what we have. I'm going to fill in your blank in just a moment. And it seems like a little stone. I wanted to pick the smallest. We have lots of these stones in our front yard and backyard. And I wanted to fix the, find the smallest one to represent how small we think what we have is sometimes. So like if we talk about six stones tonight that we might have in our life, we have our sacrifice. A sister sacrificed yesterday to go door to door in the heat. I'm sacrificing to answer 
the Queen for Day registration line. I'm not looking for props, but you're sacrificing by being here tonight. I honor your sacrifice. I honor your sacrifice. Your encouragement. Some dark days of my life, somebody that smiled at me turned it all around for me. They just smiled at me. And I thought, you're going to make it. You're gonna. They smiled at you. Your talent can tear down giants. Your prayers, your help, your yes. It may look like a little stone and you may feel as David wondering if that little stone can really tear down the Goliaths of defeat, despair, and poverty in others. A resounding yes, says the Lord to you tonight and to me. His answer is yes, if we come in the name of the Lord, as David did. You see, if we want to make a difference in the world. We feel overwhelmed and adequate, every one of us, to attack the Goliaths, the Saths. I'll go, go through all of them again, but it would just take time. You have your notes tonight. You can look back on. I encourage you this today to take whatever small stone you have in your hand, because God is with you. Rare back on your worst day. Your appreciated day, your underappreciated day, your overwhelmed day, your top of the valley, top of the mountain, lowest valley. Pep in your stepper, weary and exhausted, and pick your stone up. Maybe you're called to be an Abishai and to encourage someone that's feeling exhausted. You can make it. You're going to make it through this. Maybe you are Sabaka that's supposed to surround people. I had so many stories tonight about that. I didn't have time. Community, we'll get to that, the stone of community that surround you in bad times. And they become a shelter from the wind, the Bible says. They circle you. My niece Allie, when she had cancer, her small group in Louisiana surrounded her and began to shout out one by one, the Lord is with you. You will never be alone. You will. And they just kept it. was such a beautiful imagery. I may have had that in some respect, but I've had it without that visual of people just surrounding you say, you are not on your own. So here's the deal. The verse says above number seven, may God give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope. Everyone say hope to which he has called you. Ephesians 1 17. I'm going to give you number seven. I'm going to ask you not to move because I want an illustration for those listening and for you in this room before we end. What is your stone? That's your last one. And where will you throw it for the kingdom of God? At the end of this year, we are going to take a stone, each one of us, and we're going to ask the Lord for a word for next year. And you can be praying about that from now till then. We're going to ask Him, and you're going to each be given one at the end of this year, and you're going to ask the Lord for a word for next year that will be your word. But I want to tell you something. You need to ask God tonight as we get ready to pray. You need to ask him to tell you something good about you. All of these things are identity in God. Remember that we're God's child. All these things that he's given us. Richard Foster wrote once of a father walking through a mall with his two-year-old son. The child was cranky, kept whining and wiggling and complained. And anyone ever had a two-year-old to go rogue on you? Come on. While the world watched. Can I get an amen from a parent? The father struggled to remain patient. All of a sudden, the father scooped up his little two-year-old grumbler, held him to his chest, and he began to sing an impromptu love song. None of the words rhymed. He couldn't sing, couldn't carry a tune in the bucket or the bucket. He sang it off-key, but as best as he could, he held that little boy as he screamed through the mall, and he sang, I love you. I'm so glad you're my boy. 
you make me laugh. And people just stared at him, but he kept singing it, not rhyming, off key, captivated by this strange and wonderful song. Finally, when they finished, the dad went to the car, the little boy, <laughs> you know that state of crying. <laughs> That's when your mama usually said, I'm going to give you something to cry about. <laughs> Finally, when they'd finished, the dad went to his car, buckled his little son in the car seat while he was trying to get his breath. And as he got in the car and put his own seatbelt in, he heard a little voice from his tiny little two-year-old, Sing it to me again, Daddy. Sing it to me again. For the Lord your God has arrived to live among you. Zephaniah 3 and 17. He is a mighty Savior. He will give you victory. He will rejoice over you with great gladness. He will love you and not accuse you. Is that a joyous choir I hear? No, it's just the Lord himself rejoicing over you in happy song. Listen, there are days when we are not only disqualify ourselves as unworthy recipients of the love of those around us, but also unworthy of God's love. On those days, we need to hear Abba, our Heavenly Father, sing over us. In that moment, it doesn't matter who we are or what we've done. Being alive and loved by God is absolutely more than enough. Maybe the words you need today to say is simply, sing it to me again, Abba. Tell me once again how much you love me because I feel like a cranky two-year-old. The giants are all out there, but if I can hear you, and well, Pastor Rhonda, have you heard God sing over you? Not literally, but I've heard his word. I've heard a worship song. I've heard someone encourage me. Tonight at the close, before I pray for you, your closing box, I hope will encourage you. I penned the words from another author. When will you rest? says the Lord. Even in the heat of battle, I tell you, says the Lord, rest does not always look like a hammock stretched between two trees on a lazy summer evening. Rest can mean looking to me and my grace, says the Lord, even as you swing your weapon or throw your stone against your giant. Rest is simply being with me. I promise you this, says the Lord. I will be with you every step of the way. I will hold you together when you feel that you could fall apart. And I will be there to celebrate with you when at last your battles are at end. Let me pray over you and those that are listening. If you would close your eyes. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We pray for those who are listening by podcast. And we pray for those listening in this room. Lord, tonight we've talked about these giants. The meaning of their names. But the incredible thing is that you gave the ones that took them down a name too. And those names have significant meanings because you're speaking to tonight. You are for us, not against us. There is no giant that can take us down. We may stumble and fall. We may grow weary. We may go through things, trouble and predicaments. But Lord, you have given us the weapon if we come in your name. Lord, forgive us tonight when we try to face things in our own strength, and our own power. And let us be reminded tonight, Lord, that you are with us and you are for us. For every listener in this room tonight, I pray you would speak to them in the midnight hour. I pray some way you would reach out to them and let them know you are for them. And Lord, for those in this room and those that are listening, that they know people that are being absolutely crushed by some of these giants, 
We pray tonight that you would encourage us for those we're believing for, God, for children, for grandchildren, for brothers and sisters, for neighbors, for coworkers. Lord, that we have a stone that you've given us, a faith of love, of hope, of sacrifice, of our prayers. Little is much when you're in it, God. Let us never be defeated by the giant that says we are nothing. For with you, God, we are more than able. We give you praise for the battle plan of the overcomer. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Let's give God a hand clap of praise tonight.